All right, my name is Janice Wood. I'm so glad to be with you this morning, and I can't wait for this candlelight service uh, for reasons that you'll know in just a moment. Um, it is so good to be with you. I love the real reason for the season, but I got to tell you, I love everything that goes with it. I love the candles. I love the ambiance. I love Christmas lights. I love a fire in a fireplace because most of all, I love fire. Okay, I really love fire. Anybody who knows me, you know this. I mean, I love any celebration that involves fire, and there aren't that many of them. I mean, you know, Fourth of July is kind of there. You know, I'm not saying I love war. I'm just saying I love fire, right? But think about it. Campfires, bonfires, candles, fireplaces. I love wood-fired pizza ovens. I love cooking torches, a whiskey smoker. I don't really care. I just love things that light on fire, and somebody got me... A, uh, a kitchen torch last night, and I'm so pumped about it. We had our Christmas yesterday, all right? Because I just want to light it on fire. I am actually the last person in the room who was in favor of any of these battery-run candles that you see around the room. I was the last person on board for that because nearly every drop of candle wax in this carpet up here is my fault. It is, because I just, the janitors are like, are we ever, are we going to keep doing this? And I'm like, probably. I don't know. I mean, I'll help you get it out, but I just, I love it. There's just nothing like it. And you love it too, because one of the reasons the candlelight service is such a big deal. There are people who will roll in here with their little children all dressed to the nines, and you know what? We're going to give your youngsters fire for the span of two songs. And I mean, we're living dangerously, and I love it. it. There is just nothing like the pictures that come out of that, you know. Over the years, folks, I, you know, have nearly lit the house on fire so many times that we should probably have a special rider on our insurance. And it usually involves Christmas parties because, you know, it's kind of the, the, the season, right? Um, so one particular year, I had a log candle holder. If you don't know what that looks like. Do you remember these? My parents had one of these. I think it was like the cheapest way that you could like decorate your house was go get a piece of firewood and drill a hole. Now you see those little rings, the metal rings around these tea lights? Yeah, that is for sissies. We didn't do that. We stuck those tapers all the way down in there, right? And then one time I had one of these on top of our piano and my guests came to me and they said, uh, Janice, I, I think you have a fire on top of your piano. The candle had, had burned all the way down into the wood, and now the wood, I had a little campfire on top of the piano. Now, it's truly my guest's fault because the party went too long, but that's their, you know, I mean, whatever. We just picked it up and chucked it out in the snow. It was fine. Another time, I had tall taper candles and big tall candlesticks, but I had them, stand, I had them uh, arranged with some greenery that I cut off the tree two weeks earlier, so it was really dry. And if you have ever seen greenery catch on fire, it's a thing, right? So the, so the wax had dripped down, and I see people jumping up from their plates, and they're putting out fires in my house. The next year, they threatened to bring fire extinguishers, whatever. Fire is mesmerizing. I'm convinced of it. It is mesmerizing. It is equally dangerous as it is warming. It can be life-destroying, and it can be life-giving. It is the physical evidence and symbol of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2. Are you kidding? It is the gift of God. It is, it is the Holy Spirit poured out on the church. This is how we, we get symbolism of that. And I even love the way the Apostle Paul talks about it to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power 
love, and self-discipline. Fan into flame. If you, work, if you do a little word study on the word that is in the original text there, it really means to rekindle, to rekindle. Because as great as fire is, it has this tendency to die out. Right? You, you have to tend a fire. You must keep with a fire. You must feed a fire or it will tend to go out. And so we are called to tend, to, to continue to feed this flame that God has put in us, lest it go out. So in this season, we are talking about this journey that we are taking toward belief. And, and I, I want to talk about that fire of belief in our soul, okay? And we're, we're loosely basing this on the Polar Express, which is why you get some of the train stuff that's going on around here. But I want to talk about this journey we take toward belief because I think every person in the Christmas narrative had to do this. At some point, they had to do this. In the account of Jesus' birth, we find people whose flame maybe hasn't gone all the way out but for various reasons, can we just admit that hope is scarce, right? I mean, God hasn't been talking loudly in any way that anybody's been listening for several hundred years. And even though there's lots of prophecies, as we heard last week, about the Messiah coming, the hope has dimmed a little bit, right? See, when we haven't received the things that have been promised to us, when we haven't gotten what we have been expecting, or what we have been asking for. It's kind of easy to think maybe our requests haven't reached God, or maybe um, he's just forgotten about us. And to some degree, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel had kind of fallen into this, yeah, yeah, whatever, we're gonna have a Messiah someday, but not in my lifetime, it's not coming, it's not coming, right? Where has your faith and belief lost a little focus? Lost a little focus, as in it's just not as sharp as it once was, right? Maybe in the waiting, maybe in the grind. You know, sometimes the thing that causes our, the fire of our belief to dim a little bit is we're just grinding it out, doing the things that God has given us, keeping these children alive, keeping them out of traffic, you know what I mean? Get, you know, working on these 401ks, whatever it is that, that, you know, you consider the grind in your life. Have you noticed your zeal for God and the church Fading a little bit, fading a little bit, you know? You, you certainly haven't given up on God, and you haven't, you know, you haven't like flipped him off or anything like that, but you have to admit that your relationship with him has maybe gotten a little dull over time. Or maybe, and maybe it plays into this, maybe you've got a place in your life where God has failed to deliver the things, the relationships, the progress that you had been hoping for. Folks, this is the season of delivery. Have you noticed? I have kept the delivery trucks busy, all right? We celebrated uh, last night, so we were a week early, and so I had these, you know, these guys knew me by name, and they were showing up. One particular package was really just a gift card that I had ordered from a specific store for a specific daughter-in-law, and I, I thought, it, you know, it would show up in a mailbox in an envelope. That seemed reasonable to me. No, no. It, it just kept getting delayed. I finally looked at the shipping schedule that little, that little card, the size of a credit card, had been to seven different locations before it ever made its way to me. And it would be like, oh, it's out in the truck. No, it's back in the warehouse. Went out in the truck again, back in the warehouse again. I don't know where. That thing has got so many miles on it by the time he comes, right? This is a season of delivery. And sometimes we feel like things just haven't shown up. In the account of Jesus' birth, it's also a season 
of delivery even though some of these folks have given up on a few things. So we're going to be working out of the book of Luke this morning. You can uh, turn your devices to that, open up your screens, or follow along uh, behind me. Luke chapter 1. Listen, the, the account of Jesus' birth shows up only in two places in the Bible. Matthew writes about it. Luke writes about it. They give different details. But what I like about Luke is he gives us some backstory. Luke likes to give us some context to what's happening. And I studied history for a while, so I kind of love the, any kind of background that we can get that creates some um, just overall context to this. And so this is what he says before he ever gets to talking about Jesus. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was, I'm in verse five, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron and both of them were righteous don't lose that. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's command and decrees blamelessly. Oh, that we would grow old and have someone say that about us. <laughs> we were living righteously and, and following God's decrees and commands blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. I want you to notice this, right? They are childless, but not because of something they have done or failed to do. The pain and the longing in their life had nothing to do with their misbehavior. Blameless and faithful people can experience pain and experience huge seasons of waiting. Okay? The question is not, as so many people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? That's not the question. The question is, why do we think bad things should only happen to bad people? Right? This is not some, some place like that. We believe in God and, and his son's death and resurrection for us is not transactional. It is relational. We don't get something because we did something right. It's not a, it's not a quid pro quo. It's not, it's not one of those things where we get something for that, okay? We cannot and we dare not interpret all of the grief that we may have experienced through the lens of where we might have missed the mark. That's the work of the enemy to discourage us. That's what he's doing. When we don't get, when we're still in the waiting period, we think it's because of something we did. So in the course of his very faithful service to God at the temple, Zechariah goes into this holy of holies where he is faced with an angel and it is terrifying. All right, this is the angel who will appear to Mary later, but he shows up first to Zechariah. And, and I just need you to know that we have developed some really strange ideas about what angels look like. So I don't even have a picture to give you because we don't know. Can I just let you know that they do not look like Victoria's Secret models? That may be a disappointment to some of you, but that's not what we're, that's not what we're gonna find in heaven, okay? There are actually no feathers and no wings ever mentioned in these encounters in, uh, in the birth story. But here's what the angel says. The angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John and he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, did you hear what it said earlier? These two are very old. This angel shows up to say, you know that prayer you've been praying? God heard that. That's not a prayer he was praying that week. That's not a prayer he was probably praying that decade. This is perhaps a prayer that is so far in the past he has given up on it. 
God has heard your prayers that you have given up on already. Things that you've already packed up and said, that's not going to happen, it's never going to be for me, whatever. That prayer you prayed 10 years ago, 15 years ago, for that child, about that adult child who would have a rebirth, whatever those things are, God has heard those prayers, even if you haven't seen the results that you're wanting. Let's carry on. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And here's Gabriel going to throw it down. He says, I am Gabriel. <laughs> if you had any questions, dude, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Did I tell you that these angels are terrifying, right? I mean, they are scary, right? He says, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe. You did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. This is a whole sermon in itself, but I'm just going to give you the bullet points. Are you ready? Angels are scary. Angels stand in the presence of God. Angels are sent to speak and tell us stuff. And angels can silence us. He didn't, I don't even know if he asked God about that. He just issued it, man. He's like, you didn't believe? You're not talking. Right? And I've always seen this as a child. I've always heard this, and I was like, oh, he got punished for, for you know, not believing. And now I'm thinking, did he get punished? Or it was like, you know what? You're not going to spread that disbelief anywhere. <laughs> you're going to sit on that for a little bit, and it's going to come true, and then you're going to have a testimony worth telling people about, okay? It's going to be something else. But this is so huge, right? Our lack of belief has no bearing on God's actions. The fact that Zachariah did not believe did not keep him from getting a child. God's going to do what God is going to do. So our belief is not currency to get whatever it is that we are after, Right? But his disbelief is based on his desire for certainty, for certainty. He wants to be sure. He's like, God, how can I be sure about these things? We all want to believe in things that are sure, right? That's the heart of apologetics. If you're someone here who loves to hear people argue about evolution and, and when everything started and all the stuff and all of that, all right, that's apologetics. And I'm telling you what, we will never be reasoned into belief, we cannot be reasoned into belief. If that were true, then all the smartest folks in here would have a leg up on everybody else. And all the smart people would be believers and all of the, the dumb folks would be like, well, I don't know. And actually, it's kind of the opposite, isn't it? Sometimes those of us who can't figure it out, that's where belief can be. That's where that is. Because believing isn't a matter of being sure. Believing is a matter of faith. If faith were something we could figure out, you wouldn't even want it. See, we don't have to believe that two plus two equals four. We calculate that. No one asks your child to believe that in school. You calculate that. I do not believe that there are 20 people in our family with grandchildren now. I count them. And because I count them, that requires no belief at all. I do believe, I did believe that they were coming for Christmas. Now, they might bail on us, but I believe. I believe they're going to show up, right? And so because of that belief, I take action. And I prepare. And I prepared way too many Christmas cookies, but they took them home, so that's great, right? I get the house ready because I live in expectation of the things I believe. I live in anticipation of the things that I believe. Belief is how we respond to a living God who invites us into a relationship with him. 
And you know, with our eyes though, we just wanna be so sure of things. In this movie, Polar Express, which I'm gonna confess right now, this is the first year I have ever seen it. I'm terrible about kids' movies. I have a zillion children, but I would turn it on and walk away. You know what I mean? I'm just like, they had seen it. But anyway, I did sit down and watch this whole movie, and the scene that jumped out at me is when they're at the North Pole around the big tree, and Santa apparently has shown up, and this little kid who's been struggling to believe is straining and pulling and pushing to see if he can get a glimpse of Santa. And the film does such a good job of frustrating you. Right, because it's like, it'll, you'll start to see something and somebody will walk in the way and then it would pan this way and somebody would walk in the way and this little kid is weaving and dodging and trying to look around there and I was like, oh my word, that's the way we are when we just wanna get a clearer view of the thing that we want to believe in, the thing that we're anxious to believe in. This little boy wants to believe and he has a fleeting glimpse but he just can't get in the right position to be able to see him fully. It made me think of Zacchaeus. I'm not going to tell you that story, but he's a wee little man. He has to climb a tree in order to see Jesus, to get into a position. And even the Apostle Paul explains that our vision in this earthly body, in this sin-filled world, is a little obscured. We can't see things as well as we want to see. And until we get to heaven and we shed these earthly bodies that we're wearing, we're going to be straining to see the fullness of who Jesus is. This is how he said it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see only a dim likeness of things. It is as if we're seeing them in a foggy mirror or through a dim glass, depending on the the, uh, version you have. But someday we will see clearly, we will see face to face. And then what I know now is not complete, but someday I will know completely, just as God knows me completely. See, now listen, God isn't teasing us or being coy with the truth. Honestly, folks, this is as much of God as we can handle. (laughs) This is it. Do you remember the story of Moses in the Old Testament? And he would go up and he'd spend a lot of time with God. And when he came out, his face was so shiny. He had such a suntan going on that people couldn't bear to look at him, right? Because he had the evidence of time with God, right? Our fragile bodies are not built for standing in the presence of God. That, that, that's what Gabriel can do in his, whatever his body was like. He can do that. We can barely manage to be with people who've been sitting in God's presence. Have you ever been uncomfortable with somebody who just feels too holy for you to be with them? And you're like, man, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I hope I didn't cuss. You know what I, mean? I mean, it's hard enough for us to do that. But one day, one day, we will escape these tents and we will know and be fully known. All right, so that's Zachariah's response. Zachariah doesn't fully believe, and because of that, he's gonna you know, be silenced until the baby is born, and then he'll get his voice back, but that's great. All right, Mary, on the other hand, has a different uh, reaction, although it's fairly similar, and same angel shows up to Mary a little bit later. Uh, Luke 1, 28 through 34, the angel goes to her and says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Everybody's scared when they meet an angel. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary also says, how? How can this be since I am a virgin? 
See, like Zachariah, Mary is also afraid. Like Zachariah, Mary wants to know how. But while Zachariah wants to be sure, Mary wants to know what's next. What's next? Just tell me where, where you, what part you want me to play. She is locked in to this destiny. Because for Mary, believing is submitting to what is next. Believing is committing to what is next. I believed all my children were going to come home for Christmas, so I baked my head off. I made more cookies than anyone should ever eat, right? I mean, that's just what I did because I'm believing that that's going to happen. And surely, the, and she really has a few legitimate questions. Nothing in this initial text from the angel excludes Joseph. It just says, hey, you're going to conceive, you're going to have a little boy, name him Jesus, he's going to be this great guy. And so she's like, uh, you know, you, you kind of know I got a wedding planned, right? Is this baby going to be the product of the marriage? Is this baby with or without Joseph? Is this before or after a wedding? What are you telling me to do here? Mary's got questions. Not out of disbelief, but out of an effort to be faithful. I don't want to mess this up. Tell me what I'm supposed to do next in this period of belief. And as you know, you know, that Gabriel gives her confirmation and she heads off to the hill country where she finds Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, where Luke reminds us of how differently, and this is where we understand how differently Mary received the prophecy. Because when she shows up, this is what Elizabeth says. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaims, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. And what, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed. Mary, Elizabeth recognizes Mary's belief. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary will forever be known as a believer, somebody who believed. Now, she wasn't necessarily sure of everything, she pondered, she questioned a lot of things, she kind of stored it all up, but she believed that God would fulfill her promises, his promises to her. But I'm telling you, this belief has to be fanned into flame. Number three, believing is a faith that has to be fanned into flame. So as I think about what that means for us, what are the kinds of things that dampen that fire? What are the kinds of things that cause our fire to kind of wane and go out? Let's be practical about it. For Zachariah, despite his blameless and righteous behavior, I would suggest that one of the things that might have affected his belief is just disappointment, right? Disappointment and grief over the fact that it hasn't happened already. I've asked, I've waited, I've given up on that prayer already. Disappointment and grief can put a wet blanket on the fire of our belief, we honestly thought God would answer by now. We thought he would fix it by now or at least notice and show up and do something. And over time, our discouragement threatens to douse this flame. I think that's why the enemy likes to camp out in seasonal depression. <laughs> I think he does. He, you know, he's just like, that is fertile ground for doubt. It's like, yeah, you don't have what everybody else has this season. I mean, I don't care where you are in life. The Christmas season will hit you in a couple of ways. It is a magnifying glass. It is a magnifier. Let's put it that way. Microphone. I don't know. Something that makes things bigger. If you are, ha if you are in a great season of your life, it makes it even better. If you're planning a wedding right now, Christmas is even better. 
If you're expecting a baby right now, Christmas is even better. If you are at a sad time in your life, Christmas makes it worse. If you've just experienced loss, Christmas makes it worse. If you're waiting one more year for that child to get their act together and to come to their senses and come back to, Christmas makes those things worse, right? So discouragement and, and grief can, can kind of douse the flame in our heart. And I'm gonna give it to you. I think Zachariah is an old dude and I think age has a factor. I think age has a factor. When we think about Christmas and even the little kid in the Polar Express who starts out, part of the problem is he's like, he's getting too old for this mess. You know what I mean? He's kind of figured it out. He's got things going on. There's a part of us that thinks we can age out of our childhood belief, right? Our childhood um, admiration and love for the father, right? I mean, it's one of the reasons we don't just baptize all the babies in the world, right? We're looking for believers' baptisms. When you're not like... Well, I, I did then, but now I don't believe anymore. No, is this a, is this a cognitive decision um, of a reasonable adult who's come to this thought, right? Have, or have we gotten too sophisticated for this belief in Jesus because we're, we're poking holes in a few theories and we just don't know. Here's the deal. The minute you think you have God figured out, he will be too small for you. He will be too small for you. I had a professor one time who did not believe. He had a brother who was an Episcopal priest and another brother who was a worship leader in a, a church somewhere, and he didn't believe at all. And, and he was disturbed by the way that the worship leader was like, made God our, you know, made Jesus our homeboy, you know, and he didn't like that. He was like, I don't want a God that small. I want a God that's too big for me to figure out because he thought he was pretty smart already. To some degree, we need to be that, right? I mean, we cannot think we're too sophisticated for this, but it will make us cynical. In truth, if you've been a believer a long time, it is possible that you may find your belief and your faith losing a little luster, not as shiny as it once was. We need to fan that flame again. And the third way that I think we can uh, douse this flame a little bit is that our faith can be dampened by folks who are blocking our view. Like the movie, there are people in the way. Maybe you're following along and trying to dodge and weave and get a better view. Maybe you're just in the back of the room. Maybe you're just in the back of the room and you stay in the back of the room because you like weighing things from a distance, but in the middle of that, you fail to experience what it means to stand in the presence of a living God. Gabriel stands in his presence there is power there, and we have been given power and authority not to stand in the back, not to just hang out at the peripheral, not to just hang out wherever, but never really get close, okay? Are you willing to push past others to get a better view of God? I'm going to get personal here. Are you willing to push past the faith of your parents to get close to God? Are you willing to push past the faith of your spouse to get close to God? Are you willing to push past the faith of your friends to get close to God? We can't be waiting in the background out of politeness. That isn't respect. That's just complacency. Now listen, we're not kicking our spouses or our family or our friends to the curb. We aren't judging. We aren't being obnoxious. We're simply doing what it takes to get closer, to get a better view of Jesus. So what are the things that we can do to fan this flame of our belief? 
As we push through the obstacles that are in our path, I think we can look at new schedules, routines, and practices. We're coming to the end of the year. You're going to start in January, and you're going to have all kinds of plans for what you eat, what you put in your mouth, where, you're, you know, where you work out, and all that. What are you going to do about working out your faith? What's going to be your new workout schedule? Where are you going to flex that muscle, that spiritual muscle? What is it that you're going to do? Now, listen, what you did when you were 10, what you did when you were 20, doesn't work when you're 40. It's not different. It just maybe does a different time. I meet with Jesus differently at, you know, at, how old am I, 58? I don't know. I meet with him, what, something like that. I meet with him differently now than I did when I was 18. That's okay. That every now and then we have to think about that, right? Where do we hear God best? God is not a slot machine where you sit and do the same motion. I've never done that, but the same, it's like this, same motion over and over again. I've watched the movies, right? Hoping for a jackpot. What was helpful last year? in my college years, isn't the same right now. We might need to develop some new habits to give ourselves a better view. Oh, this sounds like self-discipline, doesn't it? Remember that? For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, self-discipline. Here's the great part. You don't have to come up with that self-discipline on your own. That can come from the Spirit. Lean into that. Ask the Holy Spirit to give, give you, to build that discipline that you, and that sound mind that you're going to want to fan this flame, right? Another thing we can do to fan that flame is rekindle that childlike joy, rekindle that joy. This is why the Santa Claus thing remains so strong, doesn't it? Because we love the excitement in children's eyes, the anticipation, the excitement of being remembered. And David says in the Psalms, restore to me the joy of my salvation because even he's smart enough to know this can flicker a little bit. But here's the point. When we rekindle something, we burn stuff up. We burn stuff up. We may need to be ready to burn off some of the stuff that takes up space in our heart and mind. We might have to consider what it is that took away our childlike, carefree spirits. What are we filling our brains and our minds with that's affecting that? By scrolling through things that unsettle us? Now listen, I'm not telling us to bury our head in the sand, but I have noticed a stark difference in my mood and my approach to life when I refuse, and it has taken some real self-discipline when I refuse to scroll my phone. I'll check the weather, but I refuse to scroll on my phone until I've met with Jesus. I really need his perspective for the day before I start seeing what y'all are doing. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't, I get through all of that. You know what I mean? I don't know what y'all are doing. I'll need to be thinking about that. I need, to, I need a little Jesus time first. What, where can I build joy back into my day? Because sometimes what y'all are doing discourages me. You know what I mean? Not you, but you know what I mean? All the people in my feed, it, it discourages me. Where can I approach Jesus with joy free from distraction? Early in the morning, late at night, middle of your day, wherever that is, Right? I know where somebody has the opportunity. They show up to pick up their kid at 1 o'clock every, every day near our school. You are not there to get your kid. You are getting a nap. That is what you're doing. But what a great time. That would be a great time to meet with Jesus, right? I've got to roll. Okay, so another one that I think can help us, and am I in the building? Building, um, fanning the flame. Are you ready? Church folks. Church folks. Other believers help fan that flame in us, right? This is pretty simple, but Paul says the flame is the gift of God given to you through the laying on of hands. So when people come up here for prayer at the end of service and you're like, what are y'all doing up there? We're doing what the Bible says. 
We're doing what the Bible says. There is something corporate about helping those flames burn. Yes, you can follow God alone. You can meet in your closet. There's places for that. But I'm telling you what, when people of deep faith have prayed over me, there, there is something, there is some power in that that comes. And it's not hoo-joo, hoo-joo. It is something that God has told us to do. Lay hands on one another and pray. Don't miss those opportunities when you get them to receive some of that that may help with something that you're going through, right? There's corporate benefit to that. There is warmth in gathering together with other people, with praising God together. Jesus didn't call us to build the church for nothing, Right? Even with all the annoying and dysfunctional folks that we may be, we are called to serve God together and to fan the flame in each other. Pray, confess, lay hands on each other. That's in the book of James. Don't take our word for it. And here's a final one. Testimony. The testimony of the people in this room. I heard a preacher say one time that I really admired, and he said uh, one of the things that's most encouraging to him in ministry is he liked to read biographies. He said one of the things that's most encouraging to him is the pain of other people. And I'm like, wow, that is dark. How are you still a preacher? You're, you know, you're loving the pain of other people? And he said, listen, when I read about the things that some of the people of old have gone through, I think to myself, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can survive that, what I'm feeling isn't that big, right? Puts things in perspective. Right? When we know that other people around us, so if you're going through a hard time, I'm not saying you're, you need to blast it on a billboard, but I'm saying sometimes your faithfulness, we hear this in small groups. We're like, well, I didn't study the Bible. You know what I heard? I heard the testimony of what God's doing in your life in that group, and that encourages me. That moves me forward. You, God pulled you through something I haven't even imagined that's going to help me get through whatever I'm doing, right? That's the gift of other people together. So in Mary's lifetime and ours, there will be moments or lengthy seasons that create doubt. And I have to wonder if one of the reasons the Magi came so far and the shepherds showed up and Anna and Simeon met them, all of those characters, yes, that was great for them. I think sometimes it was all for Mary, all for Mary and Joseph. When people show up and affirm what God has told you, that fans that flame. It helps keep that doubt from going out. Years ago, Joe and I were uh, just getting this church started. We'd been asked to plant this church, and we'd gone to the first vineyard conference that I had ever been to. He had gotten to visit one before, and I didn't know who these vineyard people were, and I didn't know. I just knew I was hungry. I was just ready, and we went to this conference, and they gave some, not an altar call, but a ministry call, and they were very specific. You know, you have like an earache, or you know, you had a flat tire last week, whatever. Whatever it was, it didn't apply to me, and I didn't feel like I could go forward for prayer. We didn't go forward for, I was disappointed. It was, we came, we came loaded for bear. We wanted to receive, we were sitting about halfway back the aisle and getting up. So we're like, fine, you know, maybe the next service will be better. And out of the cheap seats, three guys showed up. I still don't know if they're real people. They told us their names, but I don't really know. I don't know if I believe it. And they were like three wise men from the East, big burly guys, like football player kind of guys. And they came down and they came straight to us. We didn't know them. And they said, hey, God really highlighted you two to us from up in the balcony, and we felt like we were supposed to come pray over you. And we're like, okay. And um, they didn't ask us anything. They just started praying and read our mail. They said things to him that he had told me in private that he wanted to hear from God, and they delivered it. They had no idea. 
And then, you know, and they wrapped us up vineyard style and prayed all over, snotting and crying and all that. And, and then we wanted to tell them at the end of the prayer, like, oh, you, you were, and they didn't even want to hear it. They just walked away. They're like, yep, and they peaced out. Dude, that is the kind of confirmation that we needed in that moment. That carried us through so much. Yes, God sees you. Yes, this is what you're going to do. Even this morning, you think that the people that we have for prayer team, if you don't know what this team is, they take turns. They have a schedule of who's going to be serving to pray. They'll come up in a minute and pray over anybody who comes forward. They also come early and they pray over the worship team and whoever's speaking. This morning, two of them came into the office to pray over me. And after they got done praying, I looked at one of them and I said, did you hear what I'm talking about this morning? Have somebody told you what I'm going to be talking about? And he goes, no. On target. All he talked about was flame and fire and what God was doing. He had no idea. That's the Holy Spirit operating. And after he said that, I'm like, I am not deviating, right? That is what God wanted you all to hear. Somebody in here needs to hear that that your, the flame in your fire needs to be fanned to some degree. So let's come, to our, let's come to our feet as we get ready for a ministry time. So I don't know what you've heard this morning. I'm not gonna give 14 different, different calls. I'm just gonna make one general one. You are in here this morning and you know that you would like your faith to be burning a little brighter than it is right now. You know, you're not really in danger of cashing it in or checking out or deconstructing your faith or any of that. But, but whatever, for whatever reason, things have just gotten a little dry, a little dull, and you would like someone to pray over you that you would have that rekindled. And you know that that rekindling might mean that you're going to sacrifice something. You might have to have something in your life burn up a little bit. Don't be naive about that. But you know you want that flame to burn a little brighter. Are you weary and waiting and wondering if God's really going to show up and be as real as he once was in your life? We want to pray over you that you might have that rekindled. Is that you this morning? Am I talking to any of you? If that is you, I want you to come up. I want to pray over you. And then we'll give an opportunity for people to come up behind is there anybody this morning who would like your faith to be burning just a little bit brighter? Come on, yes. Anybody else? You'd like to just be a little bit brighter than you are right now. This is the season, folks. It is the season of fire. <laughs> if I had my little kitchen torch, I'd be using it right now. Anybody else? This is your chance. Maybe you know that you have been hesitant to have people touch you, to lay hands on you. That freaks you out a little bit. But you know there might be power in that. And you do want that. You want the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Anybody else? Anybody else this morning who's weary and you're just, and you're just hungry, honestly? You just want to get a little closer to Jesus. You want a better view. You want to push past anybody that you currently relate to that honestly makes you hesitate a little bit because you don't want them to feel bad. You don't want your parents to feel bad. You don't want your spouse to feel bad. You don't want your kids to feel bad. So you hold back a little bit and you want more. That's it. Anybody else? Now I know this, somebody's going to say that's a cheap call. Everybody should be up here. I get it. Maybe you're sitting back there and you're feeling that too. 
All right, I'm gonna get ready to pray, but as I'm doing that, those of you who are scheduled on the team and those of you who are on the team who aren't scheduled, we could use you this morning as well. Would you come up and stand behind someone if God directs you towards someone? I want you to listen to that. If God's directing you to the back of somebody you don't even know, just touch their shoulder and pray over them. If you want to ask them for anything specific, you can, but I think the the charge is pretty clear that you can do, okay? For those of you that are in the seats, I'm not gonna let you lose today. I want you to pay attention to who is in arm's reach of you. Don't make anybody uncomfortable, but I want you to look around a little bit, catch a glance. If there is somebody that God is inviting you to pray for that is nearby, don't freak them out, but you might go over and say, I feel like God wants me to pray over you. Would you receive that? Don't miss that opportunity as well, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for what you do. I thank you for the fact that you use us, that this is not some individual thing where we have to just keep building our own little campfire, but that you use us to fan this flame in each other's lives. And so God, in this Christmas season, in this joyous season, may we enter it with more childlike joy than we have had in the past. God, I pray against cynicism. I pray against doubt. I pray against... um, Uh, depression and discouragement and the things that make us feel dull and the I wanted to be better I wanted to I I pray against anything that we think we have to have a certain shiny thing and we don't get the shiny thing then maybe you're not there I pray against that God may the spirit of discouragement may the enemy be out of here God we cast the enemy out in the name of Jesus leave these people alone give them room for this flame to be fanned Let your spirit come through. In Jesus' name, amen.